That's what you went with, huh? Yep. 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 That was it. <laughs> That was it. I was before we started recording. I was saying, "What is the snappy intro going to be to this week's episode?" And uh, I got nothing. So we're we're going to keep it real basic. Hi, hello, everybody. Hello. How are we spent fifty minutes all trying to come up with this stupid thing, and this is what we ended up. With. <laughs> this is this is the best we got. Um, it's uh, it's this week's episode, the two hundred and ninth of the show before the show from milb.com, a podcast talking all things minor league baseball from minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Episode number two hundred and nine. The area code for Modesto, evidently, uh, home to the nuts. I wrote a story about Logan Gilbert, Seattle Mariners, uh, first round draft pick from last year, who is now a member of the Modesto nuts wrote that last night. This is very, this is very well timed. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely what I was thinking about when I sent you that this this morning. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? Tyler would appreciate this and not just this random research that I did two seconds beforehand. It was like, there you go. There's a Meyer league connection. Exactly. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll welcome you in and we'll get started on this week's episode of the show. Thanks for tuning in wherever you found us at MILB.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher app, elsewhere. Uh, you can find all of our past episodes at MILB.com slash podcast and uh, check us out through all of your podcast feeds and give us a rating and review and a subscription if you would like and jump on board with things like Three Strikes, our opening segment for every week of the show before the show. We get things started today with the promotion of one top prospect to the major leagues a guy who is actually the top prospect in his organization Keston Hura the infield prospect in the Milwaukee Brewers system already up at the big leagues got his first couple of major league hits out of the way on Tuesday night got a walk uh, jumped right into action at the major league level and this is not uh, something that is very unexpected at all talked to Keston toward the end of spring training about you know just how close he really was and uh makes a jump up yesterday we're recording this on Wednesday the 15th a couple of singles got the walk the Brewers knocked off the Phillies six to one pretty good start to the big league career for a, a guy who we're kind of expecting some big stuff out of yeah no this is this is really cool um maybe a little bit earlier than expected for Keston here considering he Oh, had never played AAA before this year, but we always believed in the hit tool with him. And the way he took off this year at AAA San Antonio um, was really special. And just specifically when it comes to the power department, um, he's always been a overall hit tool guy first with maybe some power to come. I mean, he is a second baseman. He's not a huge guy. But, you know, the way the ball is playing this year at AAA, that's translated incredibly well for him. But not only that, he's just doing he's making the adjustments to that level very well. Um, at the time he was called up, I believe he ranked sixth in the Pacific Coast League with a 698 slugging percentage and a 1.106 OPS. Now, again, I know a lot of you at home are probably sitting there saying like, you know, close to 700 slugging percentage. But, yeah, it's a different era for AAA baseball. I get that. But focus on the fact that he ranks sixth in a category that was not his strength coming into the year. Um, so he's really putting a lot of a power in there. He, he ranks second in the PCL in extra base hits. His 11 homers were tied for ninth at the time he was coming up. Uh, he was hitting 333 with a 408, 408 OBP. Those are more in line with what we were expecting from him. This is a guy who was hit even going back to his days at UC Irvine. Um, I think he hit 442 in his final year there as a junior. Um, everybody always believed that the hit tool was going to translate and could potentially move him quickly. It was the defensive concerns, I, I guess you might call them, um, that were going to hold him back. Uh, you know, so some worries about his elbow coming out of college. Uh, he was mostly a DH 
coming out of UC Irvine, uh, you know, there were thoughts that maybe he would need Tommy John surgery. It's never quite worked that way. He's stuck at second base. He's been primarily a second baseman this year. Uh, yeah, and then the Brewers are trying to contend in a crowded NL Central. They're just a little bit back, I believe, of the Cubs in that division. And, you know, so they need all hands on deck. Hira is one of their best hitters in their system, major league or minor league. Um, and with the struggles Travis Shaw was having, was having, it turns out he has a little bit of a wrist issue. Um, so he goes on the IL. Hira moves to second base. Mike Moustakis, who probably has no right playing second base other than it's just a funny infield uh, situation over there in Milwaukee. He moves over to his natural position. The Brewers have a much more set up, a better set up. Uh, infield now than they did, I think, to start the year. Not That being said, I mean, Travis Shaw coming off a solid year, year last year, you want his bat in the lineup. They signed Mike Moustakis because he performed well for them last year coming over. They wanted as many good bats as they could get. Adding here to the mix is really interesting. What happens when Shaw recovers from this wrist injury? Uh, we'll have to see. That here is somebody you want getting every day at bats. Uh, so does Travis Shaw become bit of a utility role you know he's got first base he's played before he's played third base he he's played even some second base i believe um so maybe he becomes more of the utility guy here becomes the second baseman uh or the everyday second baseman going forward there in milwaukee we'll have to wait and see but the fact that he did smoke some balls last night his first hit was hit right back at the pitcher right you know we talk all the time about Guys having the approach of, you know, send it back where it came. And he sent it right back at the shoot at Jared Eikhoff uh, for his first major league hit. Um, really cool to see that, uh, especially as we talked in previous weeks about guys coming up and having some struggles. It's just one game. Uh, but to see him do that well that quickly was no surprise and uh, really cool. So, yeah, Keston Hira, major leaguer has the hit tool to stay there, has the developing power to stay there. Uh, will he hit enough to kind of push his way into the rookie of the year race? We'll have to see. But uh, the tools are all in place and the roster situation is in place for him to be with the Brewers for quite a while. The first position player from the 2017 draft to make it to the major leagues. There were four pitchers who made it before him, but Keston Hero, a guy who we knew was going to climb pretty quickly and uh, is already up at the big league level. And for Brewers fans, pretty exciting day. And Atlanta Braves fans in strike two will get a chance to have one of those as well. Fourth-ranked Atlanta prospect Austin Riley is headed up to the major leagues. That was first reported by MLB.com's Mark Bowman. Uh, Austin Riley has been scorching hot, to say the least, as of really the last almost full month. He kind of struggled first two-ish weeks of the season, two and a half weeks maybe of the season. Uh, in his last 25 games, Austin Riley is betting 362, 439, 872 with 13 homers and 33 RBIs. In May alone, he's hitting 360, 458, 1020. 1020 is a slugging percentage, not the OPS. 1020 slugging percentage, 10 homers and 23 runs batted in. He currently leads the International League with 15 homers, 39 RBIs and 25 extra base hits to go along with 98 total bases. All those categories are best in the league. 681 is slugging percentage overall this season. That's second in the league. His 1057 OPS is third in the league. Um, yes, offensive numbers a little bit askew in uh, the AAA league so far this season, but Austin Riley is hitting the ball no matter what. Yeah, and what I think really helped out here was Ender Inciarte's on the IL now. Um, so that opened up an outfield spot for Austin Riley. Uh, his biggest question, kind of like here coming into the year, was defensive. You know, like what what was he going to do? Um, he's 
pretty much been a third baseman his entire career. He's played some first base. He actually talked about getting ready for the outfield this spring. I wrote a story about that, talked to him about it. It never came up in the spring, um, but he started to play a little left field here the last couple of days. I think four of his last six starts came in left. Uh, and Ciarte goes on the IL. Acuna is going to move in, into center. Riley plugs in there because he's not going to supplant Josh Donaldson at third base after they made that big signing this this offseason. And Freddie Freeman has been one of the most consistent producers in that Atlanta lineup for years now. He's not going to move him off first base. So Riley gets his chance here. Uh, might be one of the hottest hitters in minor league baseball period. Uh, Tyler just went off about all his stats, but he leads the International League. I want to call it the IL, but I just called it the IL for Ender Inciarte. He leads, or he leaves the International League, leading that circuit in home runs with 15 and 37 games. That's tied for the most in all of minor league baseball, right next to Kevin Crone, Sam Huff, and Jordan Alvarez. Uh, he also leads the league in total bases at 98. Nobody has more than 84 in that league. Uh, he ranks second in slugging percentage at 681 and his OPS of 1.057 is third. Um, so nobody deserves this more in terms of pure performance on the field. Uh, Riley has always been thought about as a masher. Unlike Hira, Hira was bat first. Riley's going to be power first. Uh, if you look at him, you know, it's not hard to see why he's definitely got a thick set. He's listed at six foot three, 220 pounds, but he's got a good arm. He was a pitcher in high school. There was some thought about maybe he could enter the draft as a pitcher. Obviously, he's been too good of a hitter to make that a thing. Um, so, you know, the the arm is going to work on the outfield. It's a, b a little bit more about mobility and getting reads and all that. You can hide him a little bit more in left field, um, but the bat is certainly going to play for a corner outfield spot. And yeah, you know, he's somebody who definitely deserved this and, um, you know, seemed to be not far away at the beginning of the year coming out of camp and the way everybody in Braves camp was talking about him. That said, the slow start kind of muffled that a little bit. But to see him catch fire like he did has been really, really cool. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does in kind of the stack cast era, because this is a guy who hit a 500 plus home run a couple weeks ago. Um, that kind of caught fire on, on Twitter. Um, now we plug him into the major leagues and he gets involved in stack casts and a lot, lot more public facing data. What are the type of exit velos and the type of home run distances he's going to be able to put together if he makes the adjustment to major league pitching? That's always a big question mark until we see it. So, he, you know, there's been some questions in the past about bat speed with him and catching up to velocity. How is that going to uh, work against major league pitching? Obviously, he's handled uh, the pitching at the top level of the minors fairly well. Not overly worried about what's going to happen to him at the next level. And I am wondering what happens when Inciarte gets healthy because obviously he's a big piece of Atlanta's uh, – you know, major league roster, uh, especially defensively. Um, so what happens if Riley, you know, ends up hitting four homers in 10 games? Do they send him back down or do they keep him up and try to find a spot for him and move some guys around? We'll have to see. But uh, Austin Riley getting his due chance is really exciting and we'll be keeping a close eye, like I said, especially on what kind of dingers he can put together at the major league level. And strike three this week, the Cleveland organization with a uh, heck of a start to the year from one Tyler Freeman, who uh, last year went into an offseason meeting. They basically told him, like, here's something you could work on. And now that's been uh, one of his largest assets so far this season. Uh, that was his walk rate. Tyler Freeman, who is 19 and a member of the Lake County captains uh, all of last season. 
He walked eight times in 72 games with Class A short season Mahoning Valley. This year, he's 32 games into the season with Lake County, and he's at 15 walks against 10 strikeouts. Like This has been a really, really good start to the year for Cleveland's number three prospect. He is the subject of tool shed this week from our own Sam Dykstra. Yeah, no, this was really interesting because Tyler Freeman is somebody who's popped into the top 100 uh, MLB pipeline reorganized their top 100 a bit a little bit uh wander franco i think is now number five uh casey mize is number six some guys moved up uh like that but tyler freeman is somebody who's put himself into a lot of people's radars uh he's now at number 96 and so you know i kind of wanted to dig a little bit into the numbers with him and and see what happened with that but he's always been a really gifted hitter even coming out of high school uh coming out of rancho cucamonga california home of the quakes uh you know everybody believed that the hit tool was going to be good for him he's just a really aggressive hitter and that's something he mentioned himself but he puts the ball in play a lot um that's something he mentioned that the indians were very happy with him about you know he hit 352 last year he led the new york penn league in average he led the new york penn league with a 929 ops with 95 hits 29 doubles 138 total bases there really wasn't much to nitpick except for the walk rate um and he's kind of this classic example of a young hitter who hits everything he sees why walk you know if if you can make contact on any pitch that comes your way, why try to take your free pass when you have a pretty good chance at getting a single or a double? Um, look, looking back last year, there were 1,295 qualifiers in minor league baseball, qualified batters. He had the second best swing and miss percentage at just 3%. So 3% of the pitches he saw, he swung and missed at. Only one person was better in all of minor league baseball last year. He's carried that over to this year. There are 888 qualifiers uh, through Wednesday's game or through Tuesday's games, excuse me. Uh, And he's still only swinging and missing 3.3% of the time. That's fourth best in the minors. So what is he doing? If he's still making tons of contact, but he's also walking more, what happened there? Uh, so I asked him about that and he said, well, you know, we had a whole bunch of meetings last offseason. Uh, it's typical stuff for for prospects. They give you some sort of instruction to work on in the offseason. They looked at his year. They said, we don't want to touch too much with you. But maybe. And the, he like stressed it. It's like it's a maybe situation. Maybe work on the walk rate. If you could like get a few more free passes every once in a while, you would be a more complete hitter. So he's like. Okay, some people might hear that and say, like, I'm already good to go. This is a one small thing. It'll come in time. I don't need to worry about it. He made it almost the thing, the biggest thing he focused on all offseason. He was telling me about this program he worked at back home in Rancho Cucamonga where it was like a green screen and, you know, they would simulate pitchers. They would there would be guys in front of you. They're not actual pitchers. They're on a screen. But they would change arm angles. They would change windups. They would give you a bunch of different looks. And then a ball would come out of this little hole. Um, you know, essentially matching up where the ball was supposed to come out of the guy's hand. And he would simulate different counts. Okay, it's 3-1. Should I be taking here? Should I be swinging? And he just really worked on his eye all offseason. And then he got to spring training and realized, hey, there was a ball that I probably would have swung at at Mahoning Valley, 
but I didn't this time, and it was a ball. I have to trust now my eye and only look for my pitch. Uh, and it's worked out incredibly well at Lake County. If he can keep doing this, uh, he's going to rank a lot higher than 96th at the end of the year. Um, he's just becoming the com- type of complete all-around hitter that we talk about with somebody like a Keston Hira, uh, you know, somebody who can do multiple things when they're up there. Um, it's still gap-to-gap power. He, d- he doesn't really have it over the fence quite yet. But, uh, you know, he's only 19. Uh, he was drafted two years ago. This is his first taste of, of Class A. That's something that can develop in time. We've seen that happen with power. Um, but everything else in his game is really tight, and he should stick up in the middle, either at shortstop or second base. Uh, marry that with that hit tool, and, and Tyler Freeman could be the next big, exciting prospect in the Indian system. And that'll do it for Three Strikes for this week's episode. Coming up, we're going to head uh, to the Pittsburgh Pirates organization where we've got uh, a different kind of prospect this week. Trayvon Robinson is 31 years old, but is a guy who has played a ton of baseball at a ton of different spots since he was taken in the 10th round all the way back in 2005. He is from Los Angeles, California. He went to Crenshaw High School. He was drafted by the Dodgers, uh, came out, went to the, the Dodgers organization in the earliest days of his career as a high school kid. Was it the the GCL that's how long ago this was the Dodgers were still in Vero Beach at that time went to Ogden in the Pioneer League gradually started to climb the ladder then he was with Seattle then he was in the big leagues with Seattle that was in 2011 and then he was gone from affiliated ball for a few years now he's back Signed out of the Atlantic League. He's with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. He is a triple-A Indianapolis where he's crushing the ball all over the place. And Sam caught up with Trayvon Robinson, who joins the show next. All right, we're joined this week on the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show, with Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder and Indianapolis Indians outfielder Trayvon Robinson. Uh, Trayvon, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, no problem, no problem. I'm doing well, doing well. Good, glad to hear it. Um, so before we get into why we have you on the show this week and what got you here, I want to talk about one thing that just happened a couple hours ago before we talked about the, or before uh, we're talking now. Uh, you hit your first home run of the season. Uh, you drilled a three, I think it was a 3-0 count. You drilled one to right field. Kind of take us through that at bat and now having one under your belt there uh, with the Indians. Uh it's always, it's always good to hit a home run. But something will look at me like, uh, you're hitting the ball too hard on the ground, Trey. Uh, you know, the way the game is changed. A lot of people don't know I hit 26 home runs before the half, you know, before I traded over in 2011 or whatnot. But uh, it's good to it's good to see that I uh, get to show a little bit of power, man. And I'm just trying to show my overall, uh, you know, skills, you know, on the baseball field. I'm just, I'm just happy, man. I'm just happy to be back in the field later ball, man. So I'm just enjoying the ride right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what was your thoughts when you were coming around? I, I noticed at third base, you kind of just have like a tip your cap celebration with uh, the third base coach or your manager. Uh, what were you thinking as you were going around today? <laughs> uh, I, I was like, uh, well, I guess that's just a Pirates thing. Like they just uh, tip the cap. So I was always thinking like, man, I can't wait that tip the cap. <laughs> you know, so I, I, that's just an organization thing. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so let's get into you know what what this season has been like for you so far. Twenty five games under your belt with, with Indianapolis, but going even further back, uh, the Pirates end up signing you this spring. Uh, kind of take us through that process because the last time you played minor league baseball was two thousand fifteen. Lots of indie ball mixed in there in between, but take us through when you reached out to the Pirates, how that whole process worked, and how they brought you into the organization. Yeah, well. Um... You know, I've been in any ball since 
and started 2016, and um, it's kind of been stuck there, man. It's just been getting better, just trying to work on my craft and everything. But uh, I didn't go to winter ball this past offseason. And uh, you know what? I was like, I was just kind of just thinking, like, man, maybe I should just give it up. I mean, maybe it's no hope. But I was like, you know what? I mean, I'm gonna just give it. I'm gonna just give it this one last shot. I'm gonna just reach out to the team even more. And uh, this time, I was like, uh, John Nunnally. John Nunnally is my hitting coach in Warner Ball. Past like four four years, and he signed over here uh, this double A hitting coach. So you know, I was like, you know what, Nuns? I'm gonna just come down there and see if I can work out and find them, see if they like what they see, and you know, just to give it a shot, you know, and. Um, you know, I flew down there, and I guess they liked the way I, uh, you know, it was swinging the cage. I really didn't even like, you know, going to see anything like that. So uh, the ex signed the uh, big league hitting coach, like what he see, and uh, he put my name in. He was like, you got a lot of talent. I was like, thanks, man. I've just been, just been stuck. All I wanted is an opportunity. And I uh, haven't really heard back from him for like another couple of weeks. And then I reached out to um, LB, and I told him, you know, in an in a email, like, uh, Hey, I'll do. I, I just want to compete for a job, man. I'll pay my own way. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You got to give me nothing but just, just a jersey. I even come with my own uh, own pants and all that stuff. And you know, the response I got back from him, like two minutes later through an email, was, uh, "Can you hop on a four ten flight?" You know, to Bradenton. I'm just like, "Nah, this is fake. There's got to be a mistake, a typo, or anything." So I just kind of real witted him and. Uh, I actually started crying, man. I couldn't believe it, man. You know, I mean, he's just been waiting on that one call for for three years, you know. And, um, you know, I've been doing it by myself. haven't haven't had an agent around. So, you know, it's been it's been tough, man. It's been tough on and off the field, just just staying positive, man. And um, luckily something something just came through, man. I just, I just thank God every day. Yeah, and when you say you reached out to the Altoona hitting coach, you had a relationship there. How many teams were you personally reaching out to? Because, like you said, don't have an agent anymore this is all on you um you know what other methods were you trying to do to just get a look somewhere this spring yeah i was just i was just literally just trying to see if i can get a private workout with uh a couple of teams i went from emailing gms to uh to field coordinators uh reaching out to some coaches not the old coaches i've i i had before um and it's just been kind of Kind of get a back and back and forth, saying like, "Oh, we don't really have nobody, this and that." And you know, I've been here that for three years, so I didn't give up. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of people were telling me like, "Dude, it's like the game is getting younger." But like, I understand, but I feel like I feel like I can play with those twenty-five year olds. You know, my game hasn't really changed. You know. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're somebody who has 90 games of major league experience. We should throw that out there. This is, you know, you're not somebody who's just been in indie ball your entire time. Um, but going back to yeah. what you were doing in those kind of showcases, uh, like you said, you were only pretty much hitting in the cage. How much can you show off, really, in those limited looks in, like, non-game situations? Yeah, it's, it's I show how loud your bat and the ball comes off your bat. That's that's all I can really focus on. I know now is um you know it's a certain way how they hit. You know uh, they want they want to see slight balls. They want to see uh you know their big OPS guy. But you know for I mean I mean that that goes to like guys who are playing every day. You know for guys like me, what I'm what my role I got with the Indians here. I can't really try to launch off like that unless I get, you know, every day at basketball for a long period of time. I mean, I think by looking at my my career, you know, I think you get like 600, 700, I mean, 600, 500 to 600 at bats, you know, I can 
pop some out of the ballpark, but by any means, I'm not a homer and hitter. And it seems like the game is is going that way, but I can't really change with the game because it's not my role. My role is just to, to fill in, you know, um, when I get opportunities, trying to help the team win. And I think by me coming off the bench trying to hit a home run all the time, I think that's just not it's not good for me. You know, it's not good for us. It's not championship baseball, at least I think. You know, and, and I just try to just do what I can, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting you put it that way because – you are somebody who's still trying to, you know, get back to the major leagues. And when you're getting, you know, yeah. playing time here and there, um, what do you do? What do you try to show off in those looks? Because, like you said, so much, especially now at AAA, is about launching the ball and showing how hard you can hit it. And yeah. what are you trying to show off in your limited looks so far this year? Me, uh, you know, my, I end up in the past. It was my whole thing with um, strikeouts. So that, that was one thing that everybody, like, you know, uh, talks about me. I mean, it kind of that kind of outweighed even I batted 280. You know what I'm saying? So it was kind of weird. But, I mean, I, I try to, I'm trying to show a little bit more plate discipline. But guys guys, you throw a little harder here, a lot more off speed. So I try to just show that I can handle the bat. You know, just hit the ball hard, you know, from, from 0-0 to, to 3-2, 2 or whatever. You know, just make sure I put the ball, give myself a chance to put the ball and play hard. And, um yeah, I mean, just just give effort because that's the only thing you can really do off the bench. You can't overthink it. You know, just got to go and fill in whenever you get a chance to, and um, just try to help the help the squad win. You know, and I, and I know that you know I pray every day that I get a chance to go back up, and I know what my role is going to be when I get up there. So I, I'm I'm just kind of being prepared for it. You know. Well, even in that, you you obviously have done exceptionally well. We mentioned today was the, the first homer you've hit, but in terms of showing off better contact and more consistent contact, you're hitting 355 right now with a 938 OPS. Um, you know, what do you think's allowed your game to translate this well right back to AAA and, and plug yourself back in like this? Uh, just kind of just kind of stay shorter to the ball and change my whole mindset. It's just you know, uh, getting on top of the ball a lot more. You know, just uh, I was a big swing and miss guy coming up, but I was just, I don't know, I was really, really athletic, man. I was going off raw talent, you know. I mean, I really didn't, really, I, got, I mean, I got to the big leagues quick. You know, to be honest, I should have I should probably needed like another year and a half in the minor <laughs> leagues, but you know how it goes, you know. You're out of options. You got you to gotta pick it up now, you know. But, uh, I mean, I'm glad I took the, uh, my path is what it is right now, you know. Uh, it allowed me to learn a lot of things about hitting. And um most important thing is, is making contact because anything can happen you put the ball and play hard. <laughs> that's the that's the one that's the first important thing I try <laughs> to go up there and do every day is try to hit the ball hard, man. That's it. Yeah, no, I mean that's a that's a pretty good bumper sticker, I think. Just hit the ball hard and it'll take you places. Yeah. Um but that's it. That's it. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you mentioned playing in the majors, and you know we talked a little bit about you being an indie ball. But kind of take me through those last three seasons. You played at Somerset, and then Lancaster a little bit, and then 17 you were with Lancaster, 18 you were with with Lancaster. Um, you know beyond just it's another level of baseball, and you're learning about trying to carve out a role to make it back to affiliated ball. What did you learn about yourself as a baseball player um, playing three years in the Atlantic League like that? You know, just uh, mentally, just staying in there. You know, I mean, a lot of guys. You know, it's a lot of a lot of things, a lot of a lot of negatives in independent ball. You know, you're not getting paid much. You know, you're playing sorry stadiums. I mean, not sorry stadiums. Most of the stadiums in Atlanta are pretty good. Playing in uh playing in kind of conditions to where, you know, it's not 
favorable to the player, you know, and um, it's all mental. And I just, I just fought through it. I just kept, kept at it, and I just kept at it. And um, then I lost my train of thought. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I was back and forth and winning ball too. So I mean, just, just those type of, um, just being in that environment of independent ball, you feel like you're at the low, but you're really like right there. And uh, going to Venezuela, you know, and seeing, seeing that type of life out there, you know, just make me hungry you know really really hungry and I just I just kind of just rolled the punches felt like I just got knocked down like so many times I got overlooked so many times but man, I just kept at it man I had a good circle around me you know John Nelly you know Josh Bell one of my best friends uh, you know Laughing Village you know I, I had a Sean Figgins I had a lot of guys man, just around me man and that, that's what kept me going you know yeah, and how, small circle. <laughs> how much are you in touch with those guys? I mean, is it like a group text chain you guys all have? I mean, that's a that's a pretty good circle to have. Yeah. Well, last last one just called me today, and uh, uh, I was texting back and forth to Sean the other day, and I talked to Nunnally all the time, and Josh Bell. I talked to him. He's like my brother. I talked to him too, and uh, oh yeah, Kenley, Kenley Jansen too, man. So I got a, I got a real small circle. So I mean. We stay. We all stay in contact. I stay in contact with them as much as I can. You know, uh, just see how they're doing, and yeah, they tell me keep going every day. And um, yeah, and when you have that group, I mean, what were you talking to them about during the indie ball years? I mean, Sean Figgins, obviously a really good major leaguer for a long time. Lastings Millage, a former top prospect. What were you talking to them about when you were kind of at your lower points and and not knowing if you were going to make it back? Well. Well, me and me and Josh, we played together. So me and Josh Bell played together. So he kind of he was there with me, and we pushed each other. Uh, Kenley, Kenley told me um, like you're better than half the guys up here. That's just your back half is up here right now. So he just gave me that type of um, that type of encouragement. Um, Sean, Sean just tells me, hey man, get better every day. Get better every day. And last, last, I still told me like, hey man, let's keep doing what you're doing that's it you know somebody somebody would take notice uh some someday you know i mean you just can't keep doing what you're doing, making all that noise and nobody's not paying attention to it you know? so uh i just i just kept it at that man i mean i, I keep saying i class class often i kept saying to myself like man i was probably gonna hang up the cleats you know what i'm saying but you know i can hit a ball as hard as i can uh <laughs> I can still get over the fence. I can still run pretty good, man. I don't know if I would have gave it up, but it's it's just you know when you got that circle around you, man, it's just tough. But like you know, I feel like I let those guys down, man. And, and you know, I met a lot of good people in this game, man. That's the one thing you want to do is keep in contact with good people, man. Yeah, and, and to have that group, I mean, I, I think when you when you say you feel like you let them down, I th- I feel like you've done more than made up for that uh, with how close you're getting back now. Um, when you are playing for Somerset and uh, Lancaster, uh, this athletic story I wrote, or I read about you saying, like, you reached out to scouts and they thought you were retired. They hadn't thought about you in a long time. I mean, how do you have, <laughs> how do you have to stand out? Like, yeah. How do you stand out when there aren't that many scouts around to watch you play? Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, like, I was doing a lot of my damage in, in Venezuela. You know, I was I was playing good. I was leading off of like the New York Yankees of Venezuela winter ball. You know, and it's it's just tough, man. I mean, I reached out to them and they just thought I was done. 
And I, I just didn't understand it. I was like, well, but you guys pick guys up in, in, in the pinball all the time, you know. Uh, I'm in your backyard. You know, there's a reason why I didn't go to Mexico, because if you go to Mexico, you're done. Pretty much now you're just playing for money. But I just knew that, you know, it, it had to take one person, you know, one person to do it. And uh, when I started off in Somerset, you know, I, I, I thought I got close. thought I got close. And, you know, they didn't, I guess it just didn't work out over there. And they'd been traded to, uh, to Lancaster where there's a lot of guys I played against in the minor league. So it made it a lot better. It made it a lot more fun uh, with those guys. Uh, Caleb Gendel, Sean Holden. You know, man, it's a lot of guys over there. I'll I'll be there for a little bit too. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's just, but I, I don't think I play. I don't think I played with them. But yeah, I mean, I, it, it just made uh, Lancaster Lank just made it more uh, more of a more of a comfort for me. You know, and it was it was just, it was just great, man. I probably would have went back this year if I didn't get picked up. <laughs> Even though I said I was going to retire, so. Well, we're, we're glad you, you latched on with the Pirates here, and now you are, again, one step away from the major leagues. Um, this is a question we don't get we don't usually get to ask guys on this show, is you, the last time you were in the major leagues was on October 3rd, 2012, uh, with the Seattle Mariners. You played parts of two years with them up in the bigs. Um, you know, what do you remember about the end of that season? Because that's the last time you were there. Nobody ever thinks this is the last time I'm going to be in the major leagues. But what do you remember about the end of that season and you know, what is your lasting memory of being up there? My last memory was okay. Well, I, I played part part of the year again. Hopefully, I can come into spring training and win a job. That that was it. I I, I thought I was going to be a Mariner for sure, like hands down. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of was like, well, after the season, I'm gonna start working out again. Um. I didn't think much of like winter ball or anything like that. I just felt like I don't know. I didn't. I didn't need it. But I mean, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I could have, I was in a different mindset at that time. You know, if I would have went to winter ball, I probably would have came right back. So I felt like it was too, it was unbeneficial for me at the time. You know, being away from home, being out of my comfort zone. I was. I just mentally wasn't ready for that. And yeah, I just, I just really thought that I was going to be competing for a left field left field job. You know, uh, the next year. Uh, still, like I worked out like like almost immediately after the season, you know, and uh, <laughs> I got traded, you know. I, it was kind of like a whirlwind that offseason, man. I ended up ended up getting traded. My grandmother died on that day. There was a lot of stuff going on. I was just oh, like, oh man. god, yeah, that's not it right now. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I mean, it just felt like from that from that day forward, man. It just, it just everything just kind of just went south, man. It just it just, I didn't know how to handle it, man. I was 25. And then I got designated for assignment, went to Fan Fest for the Orioles. And I thought I had a good chance to make the team. I was still on the 40 man. I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm got a, I got a new, uh, new team. Uh, they're going to give me a chance to, to actually be up here. And that turned out to be false. You know, I went to Fan Fest and all that stuff. They just pretty much fed me a lot of like, a lot of other stuff. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really truthful. So, I literally just threw away my whole 2013 off one month before the even season started. You know, mm. and it was just a lot going on, man. And I just, I just threw it away. I thought I bounced back in 2014, and I just kind of just you no. Know? Yeah, and, and when you talk to 
guys now at AAA. I mean, that Indianapolis team is particularly loaded. You know, Brian Hayes and Cole Tucker already moved up, and Kevin Newman has played there. A lot of guys who are up and coming mm-hmm. um, who haven't gone through this before. What do you tell them about that experience and, and what you do remember about the time up? And, um, you know, what, what kind of advice do you try to pass on? I try I, – I tell those guys, I can't wait till you get your first – first game in the big leagues. You know, I told that to Montana when he went up the other day. I told that to Cuck. I told that to Reynolds. I was like, I can't wait you guys get up there because you get up there and you enjoy the first day. Enjoy the first day because it only comes once. And, um, yeah, when you guys go up there, just play the game, man. I mean, take it all in and enjoy it. And and I keep telling all the young guys, like, AAA is like one of the hardest leagues because got a lot of distractions. They all want to, they all they always want to know what is the prospects doing. You know, you know, oh this guy's doing good. You start reading a lot of stuff. Maybe you should call this guy up. You know, this is by far the hardest league, you know, but just because of the distractions, I just tell them, Hey, stay on the line, stay stay focused, show up every day. That's all you can do. I mean if they call you up, if they want you there, they'll put you there. But if they don't want you there yet, hey, just do your do your do your thing and and literally take one thing home a day, you know, because this game is it's tough. It's a new level for these for these guys too. But you can't take the whole the whole game home, you know. Just try to oh, you made a real good defensive play that day, you know. You know, you swung the bat well that day, or or you tried to help a team win. Just take one thing home a day, because I mean, over over a whole course of a season, I mean, everything will balance out. But sometimes, you know, because you're that close, you you magnify one week by your whole season when it's really not like that, you know? Hmm. All right, Trayvon, we'll end on this one. Um, as somebody who has been around baseball as as long as you have in the pros and um, seen almost every level and every level of success to some degree, what we, how would you describe your philosophy to baseball? What is the Trayvon Robinson philosophy to the national pastime? Oh... Uh. I don't know. I like to say myself like an 80s, 80s, 90 player. Hard nose. <laughs> Hard nose player gives a lot of effort. I don't know. Like, definitely not, definitely not a very, I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't, I really don't have anything. <laughs> I just said, just a guy that shows up every day, man. This guy shows up every day. He's going to, it's going to just try to help the team uh, win a game by any, by any chance, you know, any, any chance I get. Just with base running, you know, a bat, gloves. You know, whatever. I, I think you've, you've proven that much so far this year and pretty much everywhere else you've gone uh, so far in your career. Uh, Trayvon, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good luck the rest of the way with Indianapolis. We'll all be following along closely. Hopefully listeners at home will be doing the same after hearing your story a little bit. And, uh, yeah, best of luck over there in Indy. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Benjamin Hill back on the show uh, as we continue to recap his inaugural road trip of the 2019 season. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler. And hello, Sam Dykstra, sitting to my left in a, in an, I'll call this conference room intimate. Yeah. Yeah. Intimate. They, we've been in some spacious ones. This one is a little bit, there's just one table, this one round table. It's not cabinets. That we take up a lot of. It's not yeah, like it's a uh, small. You're not a Camelot today. No, you know, sometimes we're in the Madison Square Garden of conference rooms. And <laughs> Literally Madison Square Garden. We go 20 blocks north of here. Yeah, yeah. But today we're more like in the Mercury Lounge, you know, a, a smaller, <laughs> more intimate venue. 
<laughs> well, let's uh, let's break down one of the uh, most recent dispatches from the last road trip. Ben hit three cities on the last trip. Uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina was one of those, along with Lynchburg and Richmond, Virginia. But Fayetteville, uh, we talked to you, I think, when you were on your way to a baseball museum in Fayetteville. There's a surprisingly large amount of baseball history in a place that just got a minor league team this year for the first time in quite some time. Take us through uh, the baseball history that you learned in Fayetteville. Yeah, you know, we've talked about my visit to the Fayetteville Woodpeckers a few times. You know, that was about two weeks ago that I was there, but this is how I, you know, I operate. I get back from the road and I have all sorts of material from the places I visit to disseminate over the coming weeks uh, after my return. Uh, so I'm finishing up my Fayetteville material and it kind of goes in all different directions. And um, if you recall, um, not just you guys, but listeners, if you, you heard uh, the podcast of two weeks ago, I was talking to you guys just before I was about to go to a museum uh, in Fayetteville, in downtown Fayetteville. Um, that had a baseball history exhibit. So I've got a story up on the site today, the day this podcast drops, Thursday, um, about Fayetteville baseball history. And it's, you know, about what I learned at this museum. It's the Fayetteville Area Transportation Museum and Local History, or Trans Fayetteville Area Transportation and Local History Museum. Kind of a mouthful. Um, pretty cool place. It's in a restored train depot in downtown Fayetteville. The baseball exhibit they have was inspired by the arrival of the Woodpeckers. Of course, a new team playing, uh, you know, playing its inaugural season in 2019 in the Carolina League. Uh, so the museum used that as a uh, as a springboard or motivation to put together a small but very dense exhibit on uh, Fayetteville's baseball history and. I don't know about you, again, you guys, as well as anyone listening <laughs> to this podcast, but I find baseball history very interesting and visiting uh, any minor league town, uh, if you have a chance to explore it, that's great. So, you know, it's cool. This exhibit was really cool. Um, learn more about Babe Ruth, you know, um, who I mentioned before, you know, hit his first uh, professional home run in Fayetteville, a uh, exhibition game in 1914 when he was a member of the Baltimore Orioles, who were then in the International League. But baseball in Fayetteville, like it does in a lot of American cities, has its root in the Civil War and in Fayetteville in the Reconstruction era when uh, the state was essentially under military control. And uh, games would be played on, um, you know, on military grounds, essentially, in the 1860s. And the first ball club, not professional, was called, um, you know, the Lafayette Club. You know, Fayetteville was named in honor of Lafayette. And I was told that of the four cities named uh, for Lafayette, it was only – Fayetteville was the only one he actually visited, the Marquis huh. de Lafayette. How did I never know that? How did how that's yeah? I never would have put that together. That's fascinating. Yeah, Fayetteville is for Lafayette, a revolutionary war hero. The Marquis. Yeah. No, there's, there's statues of him in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So – and he did visit Lafayette. Right? Apparently that was the only city of, that are named Lafayette that he actually visited that I learned. So the first club was called the Lafayettes. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, farm village teams and then later textile mill teams, uh, you know, as America and Fayetteville, you know, kind of made a transition from more agrarian to more industrial uh, African-American, you know, Negro League teams because obviously – um, you know, baseball was still segregated for a whole lot of the city's history as it was in, you know, America's history. Um, first professional teams going back to uh, the Islanders teams or the Highlanders teams, excuse me, of um, 1909, 1910. An interesting footnote there is that Jim Thorpe um, played minor league baseball in Fayetteville in 1910. And then he went on to, uh, you know, win gold medals in the Olympics in 1912 and become a big um, you know, about as big a sporting celebrity as America had in the year 1912, and his medals were revoked, and it was because he had been paid to pay play professional baseball in locales such as Fayetteville. 
So Jim Thorpe playing up for a minor league, you know, Western Carolina league class D team or whatever it was in 1910, 1909, uh, ended up having his uh, Olympic medals revoked because of that. They were restored after death, which in Jim Thorpe's case is like, thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Like, you know, um, yeah. you know, pretty, you know, not a great chapter in American sports history there. World um, sports history. World sports it's, history. It's, yeah. It's the Olympics. Yeah. So, you know, and, and on and on, um, you know, interesting Fayetteville natives include, um, you know, with baseball connections include uh, Archibald Moonlight Graham, you know, immortalized in Shoeless Joe, the book and then Field of Dreams, the movie. He was in Fayetteville. His father was a very early uh, Fayetteville baseball supporter who established um you know, was in the world of education and really established uh, key elements of the school system as, you know, in the post-Civil War era. Um, and then, you know, there was you know, the, there was about a 30-year gap where there was no minor league baseball in Fayetteville, and then it came back in 1987 with the Fayetteville Generals, who later morphed into the Cape Fear Crocs, and they left after the 2000 season. They played in uh, J.P. Riddle Stadium, which still exists and is actually still home, even today in 2019, to a summer collegiate league team, uh, Coastal Plain League, I believe, the Fayetteville Swamp Dogs, who are about to start their season. And uh, then, of course, this latest chapter in uh, minor league baseball specifically is the uh, Fayetteville Woodpeckers. So if you want to learn more and, uh, you know, get some, see some cool pictures and uh, some Babe Ruth stuff, uh, check out the article on the site. I feel like Fayetteville is now like the, the Kevin Bacon of minor league baseball. Like there's six degrees separated between Fayetteville and almost any player, it sounds like. You, you can go all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of like interesting little footnotes there uh, for sure. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Uh, but it's a cool thing. And if you're planning to go to Fayetteville to see the Woodpeckers, you know, this is a small little museum, but it's cool. Um, and you can learn about baseball history, and it's right there in downtown. All right, Ben, one thing we wanted to pivot to now, and it's it's a sad time for the podcast, for the site, for minor league baseball in general. That's might be a little hyperbolic, but it's uh, not. It's not, yeah. Ben's looking away <laughs> right now. He, do, he doesn't want to face the microphone, as I said. Misty-eyed. Yeah. Um, the, the Ben's Biz blog, something we have pushed on this podcast for a long time, is officially no more. Um, that's not be because of anything major that's happening uh, in terms of the amount of content you're gonna be bringing to the site and folks from stadiums, just the method in which you bring it, but it's still kind of the closing of one door. Um, you know, what can you tell us looking back on your time on the blog and um, what you know the transition is going to be like for people who's, who are still gonna try to find your stuff here going forward? Yeah, you know, Ben's Biz blog has been the certainly the most substantial and significant thing I've ever done professionally. And I think it's safe to say my career wouldn't have become what it has if I hadn't started that blog in 2007. Um, it is now, yeah, no longer. Um, MILB.com slash fan slash Ben's Biz will continue to have all my content. And uh, that includes all the traditional MILB.com articles, plus, you know, more stuff that would have traditionally been on the blog but will be no longer. So on one hand, it's really good um, because there had always been that sort of disconnect between saying, check this out on MILB.com and check this out on the blog and me always trying to tell people, like, I'm not just a blogger or that story you read on MILB.com, that's an MILB.com story. It's not a blog. You didn't read it on the blog even though you're telling me. It's nice that it's all <laughs> together in one place. But – yeah, it was sad. On one, like I said on Twitter, like on one hand, it's kind of anticlimactic. It's just more an issue of kind of uh, you know, kind of 
consolidation of material and just kind of the shift of, you know, where the company is in terms of, you know, getting off a third party, you know, hosting platform like Medium and bringing it all under, you know, our you know, specific dot com umbrella. Um, but, you know, I started the blog in 2007. I've been writing uh, promo preview columns in 2006, 2007, and that kind of got my uh, foot wet and maybe like my whole like lower torso wet in the world of covering, uh, you know, minor league baseball promotions, business, that kind of stuff. And it was in the off season of 2007. I believe it was a, a coworker, a former coworker. He's still here uh, in the company at large, Jason Ratliff. I think he he was the one I think suggested like, you know, it was the off season, didn't have much to do. I was still part time. He's like, why don't you start a blog? And that's where Ben's biz came from. Is you know, keeping in mind that it was going to be a blog, and my name was Ben, and I was now covering you know promotions and the business of minor league baseball, and that's how it all came about. Pretty much going for the alliteration, Ben's biz blog. And that's really what got me kind of really solidified in this world. And I think eventually what led me to get full time in 2009 and to kind of have, you know, enough uh, kind of reputation behind me to then start traveling and doing all that. So the blog was, you know, really huge to me in my professional life. Um, And in the beginning, you know, social media existed, but teams weren't communicating on social media the way they do now. You know, there was no Twitter, you know, not really Facebook in terms of like, you know, professional entities using it. Um, so there was, I was one of the very few people, you know, who had the time and audience to actually, you know, look all over the place and basically curate and find what teams are doing and having teams get in touch with me and scouring their websites. Um, so in the early days of the blog, you know, pre-social media, it was kind of the only place in a lot of cases you could go for that kind of information. And then as social media took off, you know, a lot of that material seemed less and less relevant because it was like, well, people, a lot, you know, people probably already saw it already, um, or it's gotten out in in other realms. So in the meantime, as that aspect of the material got less important, the road trip material got more important, and the blog was a great place to do full reports on every ballpark I visited. So on the blog, as it stands now, you know, the first 174 ballparks I visited, active and defunct. Um, you know, plus multiple visits to a lot of those parks are documented in full on the blog. So that's why it's really important to me, even though I'm not posting on the blog anymore, that people still know it exists, you know, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, um, that there's so much material on there, all the designated eater posts, you know, with the food, uh, all the ballpark reports. And basically, I don't know if there's any one place that really tells the history, you know, not that not that we really think of you know, 2007 to 2019 is like historical, but I do feel like that blog, I hope it, I hope it stays healthy there on the internet. I hope it, you know, gets its food and water or whatever the internet Isn't equivalent of is. Well, yeah, but Isn't you know, your Tamagotchi now yeah, yeah, I got to take care of it. And I hope, you know, that I have enough control to take care of it because it's a huge body of work. I think it continues to have value. I hope people still check it out. I'll continue to link back to it. But, you know, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I haven't been posting on the blog very often for months, basically since last season ended. And I didn't hear people saying, what are you doing? Like, what, why aren't you posting on the blog? And I think that does go into this larger thing that maybe the alliteration or whatever, but Ben's Biz blog or the blogger, I go to ballparks and people are like, oh, he's writing for the blog. And I, I think in a lot of ways, people haven't realized that they haven't been visiting the blog very often for quite some time, that they were reading MILB.com stuff, but they just have me associated with the blog, so they think it's a blog. So I think for a lot of people who like my work or you know consume it in any way, it's not really much of a change. It doesn't change a ton for what I'm doing, but still, it was significant. I felt you know, a little emotional yesterday. But at the same time, kind of anticlimactic, kind of like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's a long time coming, I guess. But anyway, that was my little, whatever, five-minute uh, soliloquy on uh, what the blog is and what it was and uh, why it all happened. And thank you to everyone who visited. 
But everything from here on out, MILB.com slash fans slash fansbiz. And you can find everything there on the site. You can go back through all the old stuff uh, on the blog, and you can pour one out for the blog as well. As the final entry on the blog says, Ben's Big Ben's Biz blog is dead. Long live Ben's Biz blog. That's right. That's exactly how I feel about it. It's. It. I hope it is alive in the sense that it still informs and entertains for years and years to come, or for eternities to come, or a, a singular eternity. We don't need plural eternities. I'm with you. We can start yelling out Boomer lives or like blog lives like Mark Maron does <laughs> yeah. about his missing cat. Yeah. Ben's biz blog lives. Yeah. Um, thank you. Yeah. I'll, uh, I like that. I like that. But it's all, all of the stuff is currently up on the site. Uh, next trip is coming up relatively soon too, right? Yeah. Next month. Um, next month. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, El Paso. Well, starting in Amarillo and then Albuquerque and El Paso. Um, I need designated eaters for that trip. I actually just extended the deadline, and in particular because I didn't get really any meaningful, you know, applications for uh, El Paso, which I think would be literally one of the best places in all of minor league yeah, baseball that's to, be a, to be a designated eater. So I don't know what has happened there, but uh, uh, you can find that post announcing the road trip, uh, you know, at, at my site milb.com/fan/bensbiz. Uh, scroll down to the road trip section, or check me out on Twitter. I think I might post about it on Instagram very soon. Um, but if you want to be a designated eater in those locations, especially El Paso, I just extend the deadline for another week. Uh, email me, benjamin.hill at mlb.com. If you want to be a designated eater when I'm in El Paso, uh, specifically uh, June 17th and June 18th. Um, and it's weird. You know, I'm visiting Fresno the next month and I already have like tons of Fresno applications. And I'm like, what is that? That I visit Fresno in July and everyone's like, oh, me, me, me in El Paso in June and no one gets in touch. Are you there for a margarita tonight? Yeah, and I'm there for a margarita we'll tonight. Go for the hard sell, man. Like, just yeah. say, like, margaritas are on the house for one night. Yeah, you get the margaritas. You get some legit Mexican food with Juarez literally being walking distance from the ballpark. Um, they got some really strange stuff. They've got, uh, you know, what is it? These nachos with, like, flaming hot Cheetos on them or something like that. Oh, they got, yeah. They got some ridiculous stuff. But uh, I'm looking forward to being there. I like that region. I know there will be a couple good drives as I go from place to place. I'm really looking forward to seeing Hodgetown. But in the meantime, still a lot more to come from this previous trip and uh, a lot of other stuff, too. It's all up on the site, milb.com slash fans slash Ben's Biz. And uh, thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Sam. And um, this has been a nice, intimate situation. I've enjoyed this conversation. Ben's Biz Blog lives! Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show, MILB.TV is where you can watch all of the top talent in minor league baseball and we give you picks every week. That's what we do in this final segment on the show before the show. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV? Uh, yeah, so this weekend, uh, Round Rock is playing Nashville, and that Round Rock team, um, I think I've mentioned them as a MILB TV team to watch in the past, and I'm going to keep up with that just because Jordan Alvarez continues to be one of the best hitters in minor league baseball. Um, I, I've shared this screenshot the other day of there was a shift put on against him, three infielders on the right side. It's a common thing in baseball nowadays, obviously. Uh, he did the classic thing of just slapping it the other way. I mean, it, every time we think this guy is power first and power only, um, he shows an all-around hit tool that's really, really cool. And um, so I put that up, and that went – that did pretty well for a tweet for a random screenshot. Uh, people seem to enjoy 
quote unquote good pieces of hitting like that where a guy goes the other way and takes what the defense gives him. Um, so he, he's always going to be capable of doing something like that. He's also capable of hitting two home runs in a game, hitting three home runs in a game. You never know with Valvarez. Kyle Tucker's also getting extremely hot. Um, he's kind of like Austin Riley getting hot in the second month here. He's also capable of doing crazy things every once in a while. He stole home the other day. Uh, Jeff Lunau, GM of the Astros, retweeted us and said he was there to see it. So, um, you know, a lot of these guys are trying to – show off in front of the brass you get a chance to see that potentially this weekend uh, as round rock hosts nashville but the real reason i'm going to say i'm going to be watching some round rock nashville games over the weekend is it's like the closest i'll come outside of instagram to seeing tim dillard again which if you don't know uh tim dillard has been suspended by twitter for reasons unknown um pure speculation on my part could be a copyrights thing not entirely sure. Tim Dillard, veteran reliever, was in the Brewer system forever, uh, got signed by the Texas Rangers this offseason to go back to Nashville. Uh, side-arming reliever, but one of the funniest guys on Twitter, full stop. Whether it's He's baseball, a very Twitter. wholesome guy. Yeah. Like it's a, it, it's a, uh, the cesspool that is Twitter. You go to Tim Dillard's feed, and he's just like goofing around with teammates, like making parody videos of movies and stuff. Like He's a very wholesome, good human being. Right, and that's why I say I think it might have been a copyrights thing. Like maybe somebody complained that he used a, a clip of a movie that he shouldn't have, but even then it's completely harmless. It's completely to bring... <sighs> joy to people um and you know there's a hashtag going right now that's hashtag free dilly um which is a great hashtag because i just figured it out it's supposed to be free willy but it's free dilly and uh even the nashville sounds put up free dilly on their guitar scoreboard the other day (laughs) which is amazing and it's been like 282 times and tweets have been shared i mean i've posted stuff about it and People seem to latch onto it and are very confused. So if anybody at Twitter is listening, I try tagging you guys in every tweet about this. Please reinstate Tim Dillard's Twitter account. Please bring some joy back onto that silly website uh, and into the world in general. Um, But if you want to get your chance to see Tim Dillard, one of your best chances is going to be to watch him on MILB TV this weekend. Uh, Tyler, what do you got? The things that you can get away with on Twitter – but Tim Dillard is the one who gets suspended. Anyway, um, I'm going to go in the Double the A Southern League. Uh, Cisto Sanchez, the former top prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies organization, who was traded as part of the deal for JT Real Muto to the Miami Marlins, where he is now their top prospect. He made his Double A debut uh, last night. We're again recording this on Wednesday, the 15th. Um, one start so far for Jacksonville. Six innings, one hit. Uh, no runs, seven strikeouts, two walks, pretty much everything you'd expect. Jacksonville is going to be home taking on the Montgomery Biscuits this weekend. He, as of right now, if everything falls uh, according to plan, he would be slated to go again on Sunday the 19th. That is a 3.05 Eastern time first pitch, so you can get a chance to watch Sisto Sanchez and the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp take on the Montgomery Biscuits. And um, that made me kind of want shrimp and grits with biscuits (laughs) sounds actually really good you're welcome jacksonville and montgomery that's your item of the game done oh yeah yeah there it is i mean they should just be doing that all the time anyways because i would very much like that right now please sounds really good um, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. Thanks a ton uh, to Trayvon Robinson for joining the show and uh, Benjamin Hill as well. Long live Ben's Biz blog. 
Uh, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week.